Gracious God, we thank you in this new year for this great opportunity. Help us to do something great with it. In your name we pray. Amen. So somewhere in the middle of the summer of 1983, my parents loaded my brother and I up in the station wagon, and they took us on a drive that I am pretty sure lasted no less than a million years out into the country to go and look at a pile of dirt. They pulled up on this gravel road. It was across the street from a horse farm and into a makeshift driveway so that they could park the car and we could get out and get a closer look at the pile of dirt. It was uninspiring. But my parents, my parents were so excited. Like little kids on Christmas morning, such joy in their eyes. Because while I was standing there looking at this pile of dirt, they had this vision for their new home, our new home, a place where love could grow. And I was unimpressed. Because you see, I was almost six. And I had a home that I liked very much. It was the only home that I had ever lived in. I knew where everything was. I knew how everything worked. And it did not bother me one iota that my baby sister would be coming into the world the following spring. And at that point, I would be sharing a bedroom, not just with her, but also with my brother. In my mind, there was absolutely no need for us to move anywhere. But I was six. And when you're six, you don't get a choice about these things. And so for months, I had to listen to adults just babble on and on and on the way that adults do about stuff that they think is so important. Things like linoleum versus carpet versus hardwood and bricks versus siding and should we finish the basement or not? Do we need two windows here or just one? And that was all before they got into these fascinating conversations about fixtures and accent pieces. Now, again, I was six and I was very concerned about some much more important and pressing issues related to this new house. For example, the new house did not have a mature cherry tree that was just the right size for climbing on. That did not exist. And unlike the house that I currently lived in, the new house did not have a hill in the backyard that was perfect for sleigh riding with our neighbor, Mr. Jim, who much to my dismay, I discovered, was not going to be moving with us into the new house. So my mother, my mother, this was long before parents got together on social media forums and tried to figure out how the best way to parent their kids would go. My mother decided that what needed to happen here was I needed some ownership in the process. I, need, I needed some buy-in to what was happening. So she announced to my brother and I that not only were we each going to get to pick out the carpet color for our bedrooms, 
we were also going to get to pick out the carpet color for our new baby sister's room. This was my moment. I had a plan, and I assure you, it was awesome. So we picked out my sister's carpet first, and it was peach, because, you know, baby and peach, and my mom ordered peach. And my brother, because he's a boy, he picked out dark blue, and my mom ordered dark blue. And when it got to my turn, I probably picked out what as an adult I would refer to as a purple Merlot color. It kind of looked like that, although I feel like this is misleading because it was a little bit darker than that. It was very deep and it was very dark, and I felt that it, it fit in nicely with my overall room plan that also included four black walls to express the darkness in my soul and having to move to this wasteland of a house. And so my mom looked at me and she smiled and you know what she ordered? This. Mint green carpet that is still on the floor of that room to this very day. In fact, when I showed Sung the color, he's like, oh, that's still there? Yes. Yes, it is. But you know, it's hard to think about something new when what you have seems to be working out just fine, especially when you're six. And, and six-year-olds are not super detail-oriented people. Have you ever asked a six-year-old to draw you a picture of a house? They're all the same. It's a box, and it has four windows, and a door, and maybe, maybe if you're lucky and they are feeling creative on that day, a roof like this. It's almost like six-year-olds know nothing about outdoor recessed lighting. They don't include that kind of stuff. Because when six-year-olds build a house, what they're thinking about is, okay, how are we all going to live in this together? And looking back, the problem was that all I could see from my six-year-old vantage point was this unnecessary change and, and a seemingly ridiculous amount of useless details. But my parents saw something very different. They had a vision for the future of our family, especially how it is that we were going to grow. And my parents knew. They knew that they were pregnant, that they were going to have a third child, and that we lived in a tiny two-bedroom home. They knew that the neighborhood that we lived in was in decline and that everybody was getting out while the getting was good. They knew that the neighborhood was moving into a period of time when it would not be okay or safe for kids to play outside unsupervised. The school district was a complete and total mess, and so they wanted to give my siblings and I opportunities that just weren't going to be possible where we were. But I was six, and I couldn't see any of that. My parents saw this vision, and all I saw were details. When you look at 1 Kings chapter 6 today, the details are going to hit you like a tidal wave. It is overwhelming. That's why we didn't read it ahead of time, because unless you are a general contractor or an interior designer, you're going to feel like you're about to get washed away. What we have here in, in 1 Kings is that King Solomon is building the temple of the Lord. And he starts out like this. In the 480th year after the Israelites came out of the land of Egypt, in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel, in the month of Ziv, which is the second month, 
he began to build the house of the Lord. So you already know, you already know that we're about to get into some deep details here. The house that King Solomon built for the Lord was 60 cubits long, 20 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. The vestibule in front of the nave of the house was 20 cubits wide across the width of the house. Its depth was 10 cubits in front of the house. For the house, he made windows with recessed frames. Apparently, that's important. He, built, uh, he also built a structure against the wall of the house, running around the walls of the house, both the nave and the inner sanctuary. He made side chambers all around. The lowest story was five cubits wide. The middle one was six cubits wide. The third one was seven cubits wide. For around the outside of the house, he made offsets on the wall in order that the supporting beams this is important because you want those supporting beams, should not be inserted into the walls of the house. The house was built with stone, finished at a quarry, so that neither hammer nor axe nor any tool of iron was heard in the temple while it was being built. The entrance for the middle story was on the south side of the house. One went up by winding stairs to the middle story from the middle story to the third, so he built the house and he finished it and he roofed the house with beams and planks of cedar. He built the structure against the whole house, each five five cubits high, and it was joined to the house with timbers of cedar. So you got it, right? Picture it. We could all draw it right now. Kind of the same way. Six-year-old pictures a house. There's got to be windows in there somewhere. And yet, and yet those details must have been so important to somebody. Important enough to include them in scripture. And there's good reasons for details, aren't there? Like we, we need details on some basic level. You, you have to have a handle on, on what is generally happening. If I go over to Disney and I say, hey, Disney, build me a ride, but I don't give them any details. We could have anything from the tram ride out of the parking lot straight up to Space Mountain or the brand new Star Wars exhibit. You have to have some details. There has to be a plan, but that plan has to come with some direction. Otherwise, you're just standing in a pile of details for detail's sake. And so maybe Solomon thought that all of these details were going to be so important and so vital to God, which is where this passage gets really hard. Because what Solomon is doing here is he's building a temple. And what is a temple? It's the dwelling place of God. It's, it's where God is among the people. So whatever the space is going to be, regardless of how you pictured it or how these details work out, its primary purpose is so that God can be among the people. Well, where had God been with the people up until this point? The first place was outdoors in a garden. Can you, can you remember the details of that? They were pretty easy. There were some trees. There was a big tree in the middle, a couple of people, and a snake, right? And then, then, God moved into a tent, and we had tents up and down all over the ancient world. They're roaming out there around looking for the promised land, and every time they move, the tent goes up and down, and God, God was out there with them, right among the people. It turns out that God's a happy camper regardless, as long as his people make space for him, even in a tent. And so now we've dropped in on Solomon's temple, which is not a garden, or a tent, and it looks nothing like what Herod is going to end up building later on, or the church that Pastor Sung grew up in, or what we look like in this very second. And it definitely did not look like the church that gathered on the side of the mountain when Jesus was preaching the Sermon on the Mount, or when he stood 
on the shoreline and preached at the Sea of Galilee. It looked nothing, nothing like that. But at that moment in history, Solomon was building the temple of the Lord, and Solomon valued all of these minute details, which is not to say that others did not recognize the thoughtfulness and faithfulness of those details, but the problem was that with details, you're talking about something that is temporary and secondary to an overall vision, purpose, and direction. And the purpose and direction was supposed to be to build a place where God would dwell among the people. If you remember, Solomon's temple ultimately destroyed, destroyed, down to the ground. And 70 years later, a new house of the Lord was constructed. I think back to my parents building that house in the early 80s and how painstakingly they considered every single detail that they thought was going to be so important. What kind of faucets should go in the sinks? What kind of tubs in the bathroom? Should the porch be just a front porch or should it be a wraparound? It, it was so seemingly important and time-consuming at the time. And yet, I know that if I ever had to go sell that house today, I'd have to gut it before anyone would want to buy something that looks like that. Having a larger perspective is so important. And that's why in the middle of Solomon's endless details, the Lord makes it a point to come and speak to him. Now, the word of the Lord came to Solomon concerning this house that you are building. We're not talking about other stuff. We're talking about this one thing, this house that you are building. If you walk in my statutes, obey my ordinances, keep all of my commandments by walking in them, then I will establish my promise with you, which I made with your father, and I will dwell among the children of Israel and will not forsake my people Israel. So I want you to picture this. I want you to picture Solomon standing out there on this construction site, right? And he's, he's looking over the hood of a car or whatever carriage, and he's got out his construction plans, he's got everything all laid out, and he's got his construction foreman next to him, and they're having this debate about whether or not we're going to do French doors or Berber carpets or Venetian tile, and they're wondering if this room needs to be 20 cubits longer and this one 20 cubits smaller, because they want to get this just right. And they're having this conversation. And then God walks into the middle of it, and he says, you know what, guys, let me tell you. Let's just, let's just stop right here. Let's talk about what's really important. Walk in my statutes. Obey my ordinances. Keep all of my commandments. What does any of that have to do with building and construction and design? Absolutely nothing. Isn't that crazy? All of that time and money and effort and energy and none of it is God's priority. What God is interested in is being at the center of the lives of the people. He wants to be the eternal in a world of temporary, the essential in a world of non-essentials. And the things that matter to God are the things that are going to keep his people in relationship with him. 
And it turns out that when the hearts of the people are conformed to the heart of God, he is just as happy to dwell with them on the side of a mountain as he is in magnificent cathedrals in Europe, as he is in the big green church right here on Cortez Road in Bradenton, Florida. So God comes and he speaks to Solomon about all of this, about his priorities. Because, you know, the church should be formed by the priorities of God. And 1 Kings records that, that while Solomon may have heard the Lord, he went right back into his details. So Solomon built the house and he finished it. He lined the walls of the house on the inside with boards of cedar from the floor of the house to the rafters of the ceilings. He covered them on the inside with wood and he covered the floor of the house with boards of cypress. He built 20 cubits of the rear of the house with boards of cedar from the floor to the rafters and he built, within, he built this within as an inner sanctuary as the most holy place. The house, that is, the nave in front of the inner sanctuary was 40 cubits long. The cedar within the house had carvings of gourds and open flowers. It's important that they were gourds and not pumpkins. All was cedar. No stone was seen. The inner sanctuary he prepared in the innermost part of the house to set there the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. The interior of the inner sanctuary was 20 cubits long, 20 cubits wide, and 20 cubits high. He overlaid it with pure gold. He also overlaid the altar with cedar. Solomon overlaid... He did a lot of overlaying the inside of the house with pure gold. Then he drew chains of gold across in front of the inner sanctuary, and he overlaid it with gold. Next, he overlaid the whole house with gold in order that the whole house might be perfect. He wanted it to be perfect. That's not what God asked for. That's not what God highlighted as a priority, but it is what Solomon wanted. Even the whole altar that belonged to the inner sanctuary, he overlaid with gold. And then, just when you think you've got the full picture, in the inner sanctuary, he made two cherubim of olive wood, each 10 cubits high. Five cubits was the length of one wing of the cherub, and the five cubits the length of the other wing of the cherub. It was 10 cubits from tip of one wing to the tip of the other. The other cherub also measured 10 cubits. Both cherubim had the same measure and the same form. The height of one cherub was 10 cubits, and so was that of the other cherub. He put the cherubim in, in the innermost part of the house. The wings of the cherubim were spread out so that the wing of one was touching one wall and the wing of the other cherub was also touching the other wall. Their other wings towards the center of the house were touching wing to wing and he overlaid the cherubim with gold. He carved the walls of the house all around about with carvings, with carved engravings of cherubim palm trees and open flowers in the inner and outer rooms. The floor of the house was overlaid with in the inner and outer rooms. For the entrance to the sanctuary, he made the doors of olive wood. The lintel and the doorpost were five-sided, not four. He covered the two doors of olive wood with carvings of cherubim, palm trees, and open flowers. He overlaid them with and spread on the cherubim and the palm trees. He also made the entrance for the nave doorposts of olive wood, each four-sided, not five this time, and two doors of cypress wood, two leaves of one door were folding, and the two leaves of the other door were folding. He carved cherubim, palm trees, open flowers, overlaying them with evenly applied upon carved work. He built the inner court and three courses of dressed stone to one course of cedar beams. In the fourth year, the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. So he got four years into this before we even had a foundation. In the month of Ziv, in the 11th year, in the month of Bull, which is the eighth month, the house was finished in all its parts according to its specifications. He was seven years in building it. 
seven years on details. And yet, God did not ask for any of it. Maybe Solomon thought that the more detailed this got, the more ornate the temple was, the more God would feel honored. And yet, God never once mentioned cherubims or palm trees or two cypress wood doors and a whole bunch of gold. What God wanted, what God has wanted from the very, very beginning was space for relationship, for worship, for prayer, for conversation, for connection. Solomon was generally trying to move in that direction, but he turned those details into his idols. And once you turn something into an idol, you put it before God and you push God to the side. Now, next week, we're going to start these congregation-wide conversations about a major renovation in the main sanctuary. And the reason that we're going to be doing that is because our congregation is not the same congregation that it was five or ten years ago. Our needs are different. And the needs are still for worship and relationship and connection space. And so the vision is going to be to create that space that allows for those things, that keeps God right at the center of what we're doing. This is a project that already has over a year's worth of work put into it and is finally at the place where all of us, all of us, the people who are the church, the people who are the church get to come in and take a look and see what we think. And there's this part of me that wants to go back to being that six-year-old and, and not wanting to change and being upset that I didn't get my purple Merlot carpet with my black walls and not being able to see my parents' vision of a home where we could grow as a family. Except that this time, we're not talking about my room. What we're talking about is the dwelling place of the Lord. And I know that for some of us, those details are going to be so very important. We're going to want just the right shade of carpet and a certain type of seating and a select wood accent and a door here and a window there. And I get it. I get it because we all have our preferences and that, that is okay. But we cannot make our personal preferences our idols. It is okay for us to want to hammer out details, but all of those details have to be with direction. And when it comes to the Lord's dwelling place here at Kirkwood, that direction has to come from God, it has to honor God, and it has to be about God's future, where we walk in his statutes and obey his ordinances and we keep his commandments. God is leading us to building a place that fosters relationships, and allow space for authentic worship to both grow and thrive. We are ready to do something really big for God's kingdom in 2020, but we've got to remember that more than anything else, what God wants is us. He wants to be with us, and he is happy to do that outside, in a tent, in a temple, even in a traditional colonial house that doesn't have a climbable cherry tree and mint green carpets. The details are fine, but the direction, the direction is going to be what's crucial to the heart of God. Let's pray together. 
Lord God, in this new year, individually, we're all thinking about new things and big things and changes, and it's just that time of year. And as a church, we're getting ready to do something together that is really big for all of us, and most especially for you. And so we pray, Lord, that as we set out in this direction, that you will help us to avoid making the details our idols. That you will remind us that at the end of the day, it's not about us, but it is about you. And where you can best be in relationship with us. So we thank you. We thank you and we ask you to lead us and to bless us in this important process. In your name we pray. Amen. <laughs>